right, we are back on the mania of WrestleMania. This time we are talking WrestleMania 10, the rise of Bret Hart to reclaim the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight title from the evil foreign invader, Yokozuna. I am joined um, by the excellence of elocution, Baron Von Awesome himself, who got out of his sickbed, faced dragons and monsters to be here, Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? Literally, I was at a veterinary hospital last night, too, so a lot of dragons and monsters along the way. Indeed. And you know me, I got to dress for the occasion, so we've got the jacket on today for the anointing. We've got the tank top on. The only thing I'm missing is a pair of glasses to hand off to one of you boys. Outstanding. And joining us from a ditch in an alley in a van down by the river, <laughs> from, from parts unknown, Chris Bailey. How do you do, sir? Take your mute off, Pat. You're muted. There you go. Let me tell you something. Unbelievable. The day is just stacked right up against me, but by God, I showed up. That's right. I appreciate you for uh, for being here, both of you guys, for being here, despite um, all of us. This just being the worst timed podcast ever. All right. <laughs> speaking of the worst timing ever. So Hulk Hogan tells Vince McMahon, I'm your guy, brother. Give me the belt. They do the uh, the old switcheroo at WrestleMania 9. Um, Yoko beats Brett with the old salt in the eyes routine. And down comes Hulk Hogan to save our hero. And because the crowd demanded it, so he says, he gets in the ring with Yoko. Big boot to the face. One, two, three. Hogan's your new champion. Bob's your brother. Now, Pat, the real story here. Allegedly, Bruce Pritchard said on his podcast, the reason why they put the belt back on Hogan was because they were going to Europe after this and they wanted the belt to be on him and they wanted Yoko versus Hogan to tour. None of that is what actually happened. Hogan won't even get into a ring in the WWE until like May. And who does he wrestle? I'm not asking you. That's rhetorical. You know who he wrestles for God's sakes? It's him and Brutus the Barber versus Ted DiBiase and IRS in tag team matches. This MFR doesn't even defend the belt until King of the Ring. Why, Pat? Why? Well, unless you count his one-off match in Japan with the Great Muda, where he throws the belt down and says the, N the, the IWGP belt is the only belt that matters on top of everything else. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, by the yeah. way. Because <laughs> Hulk's going to be Hulk. Hulk's going to do what's best for Hulk. And Hulk didn't get the response he thought he would get coming back. Uh, mainly due to, you know, his name being in the news and papers about being a steroid user and abuser and having lied on Arsenio Hall and the audience shifting away from Hulkamania, even though he thought there was a chance to do it right. Uh, there wasn't. And when he got that negative response, he figured it would be even worse in Europe and said, nah, you know what, I, I'm not really that European tour doesn't work for me, brother. So they got Jim Duggan to replace him for the whole tour. And Hogan doesn't do squat until time to cut promos and actually calls Yoko a Jap in a bunch of the promos, which is even frowned upon then. <laughs> Uh, more to be released on that in later years about Hulk, but so Chris Bailey, two things about our man, the lusterer Hulk Hogan. Um, one, I think you can see on video the point at which Vince McMahon's heart breaks when he tells him he's actually not going to go to Europe. Um, but even better, <laughs> didn't he also tell McMahon? This is what I wanted you to to talk about. Didn't he also tell McMahon at the point that at which he's leaving that he's not he's done with wrestling. He's not going to compete. He's just going to go make Thunder in Paradise and that's going to be the end of it. Well, that yeah, that conversation definitely happened. But I mean, you got to consider, I mean, the seeds of this started happened around WrestleMania eight. Do you remember with that, Pat, when everything started to heat up with the steroid trials, all that different things. And, you know, it's it kept on going here. So I mean, like you could tell Hogan is not the same Hogan that he was uh, even at WrestleMania eight. You know what I mean? This is a different guy. This is the streamline the thunder in paradise. He's got the he's got the shady eye going on at WrestleMania nine. Uh, this guy is, you you know, he, he's stepping out of uh, stepping out of the limelight and uh, he's got some he's got some work to do to get off the gas as well, because, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the on the WWF right now at this particular point for different things. Not only that, but, uh, you know, Hogan, Hogan definitely is trying to step aside here or at least get a, get off TV and hide in the shadows for a little while to take the heat off him like he normally does from ratings. He ducks from ratings. If he knows there's a bad show, they didn't go to work for me, brother. It's all the same deal for Hulk. So he drops the title at the June King of the Ring 1993, 
and a little over a year later shows back up in WCW and immediately yes. <laughs> immediately wrestles Ric Flair on a major pay-per-view, <laughs> setting <laughs> to, record to setting record make, for world championship wrestling to make up for time lost because i mean you know you talk about a ball drop hogan flair wrestlemania 8 you know i think all eyes were pointed at that way people were shocked that we actually went with hogan sid but uh you know we ended up there but they they tried to make that money back in wcw a little while later now you talked about hogan yokozuna and that squash uh, at that King of the Ring pay-per-view with Flash Paper and the, you know, the evil reporter on the outside. That was Whippleman, was it not, Pat? Uh, I forget. It was somebody dressed as a Japanese photographer. They never actually revealed who it was. I think Harvey yep. was probably a likely candidate. Yeah, it's, it's just I can I can really like I don't sympathize with Vince McMahon much, but I can definitely see between '93 and '94 him just wanting to strangle Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh so yeah, he was he was doing him no favors. Audience. No, not at all. So we're in rebuilding mode. We've been in rebuilding mode. We talked about this with the last episode. The WWE is trying to find strong footing. Um, and this story is not just the rise of Bret Hart to reclaim the title at WrestleMania. This is also the story of um, Vince McMahon friend zoning Bret Hart. And <laughs> it's like, okay, Bret, you know, you're the last man standing after Hogan and the Warrior are gone. Savage is, you know, going to commentary because he's old. Everyone is fleeing like Jacob from this company. It's you, Bret, you. And as he's talking at Bret, Bret notices that Vince McMahon is actually looking past Bret. He's saying Bret, but he's actually saying, it's you, Lex Luger. <laughs> you're the guy. But he's, but he's, but Brett's in front of him going, eh, me? And he's like, yeah, sure. Meanwhile, he's looking at the hot girl, Lex Luger, behind the friend zoned Bret Hart. That is really the story of 93, 94. But let's, let's tell it. And so back to the King of the Ring. This is the Bret Hart pay per view. He wrestles in a tournament. He wins the King of the Ring. He is kind of the non champion anointed top guy of the WWE at this point, Pat. It's the paradigm shift pay-per-view of how a lot of fans looked at wrestling at the time for a lot mm -hmm. of people because you're so used to over-the-top characters and everything and maybe not necessarily delivering solid in-ring product. But on this night, they feature the tournament is really the centerpiece of everything. And the guy they chose to feature is Brett. And what Brett does is he has three different matches with three great opponents, but three you know different opponents. He wrestles Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, Mr. Perfect, and Bam Bam Bigelow has three really great matches, overcomes the odds, and wins this tournament. And it's, you know, in a lot of ways, people shifted their their view to what is good about wrestling. And a lot of people shifted their view that I'm not going to watch wrestling anymore because this isn't what I want to watch. But right. the people who stayed were the people who are now being drawn in by, oh, wow, this guy's the best performer in the ring versus the people who wanted your Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan-type persona characters who kind of, by and large, left at this point in time. It does illustrate kind of the nature of wrestling. When you can make a big circus presentation that has that features good workers, but is ultimately a very broad-based entertainment vehicle, you have a lot of fans. When you cut away all of the fat and you just focus on the workers, you know, your best bout machines, you get a very niche audience. And niche is, is another word for saying small, Chris Bailey. Who's on mute? I know. Nope. No, I agree with you 100%. So the shift to the, uh, you know, to the smaller was definitely out of necessity, not as, not as something that they wanted to do. And they fought that kicking and screaming, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So even taking a gamble with Luger, like you said, was a little bit of a gamble because they got this steroid trial stink all over them. And, uh, you know, the Bret Hart transition was something, yeah, controversial as it is, you know, they really, really needed to go in that direction and get, as we say, the heat off them immediately. So, you know, the, these guys are in uh you know set, setting up a new generation and the hoping and praying that this is going to make box office let's stay with lex luger for a minute because after king of the ring we go to um what was the battleship that these the uss intrepid yeah the intrepid thing and this is where luger shifts from uh heel to face they do the the body slam contest if anyone can slam yokozuna um uh, the, the the japanese will be sent to mars or something um, and so like Duggan gets in there and it's a whole big deal. Um, they had NFL players, like they had, they had a bunch of celebrities and stuff. Yeah. And so eventually Lex Luger, shirtless McGee, hops the rail in his jeans. From a helicopter. No, he came from a helicopter. 
Right, right, right. Just, just imagine, just imagine, go back in time and think about this for a second. Think about he doesn't slam him after getting off the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Crush almost got him up. Do you remember that? Yeah. Crush lifted him, but he didn't get him over. So, so this is a big marketing event to try to turn Lex Luger uh, face. That's that was the point of it. And he slams Yokozuna. Yay for you know for everyone's free. Uh, you know, <laughs> the communism I, has been defeated. Jap the Japanese are defeated. It's all wonderful. I think this one was the actual hip toss, was it not? It was more. It was more of a hip toss than a slam. He really didn't get him up and rotate him. <laughs> the hip toss heard around the world. So they they used to tape raw at the Manhattan Center during this time all the time. Um, and I got lucky enough to actually finally go to a Monday Night Raw. Not when they were weekly at the Manhattan Center, but finally when they drifted away. And I got to go to one. And before the show, this is right as they were starting the big Lex Express push and everything. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for kids in the audience beforehand. They're like, hey, would you like to be on the show? And I was like, of course I would. They're like, yeah, tell us what you love about Lex Luger. And I wouldn't do it because I hated Lex Luger. <laughs> I, I just hated Lex Luger as a kid. And there were a bunch of other kids who I don't like Lex Luger. I don't like him. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, the only thing he'd done is slam Yokozuna on the Intrepid. Right. For the entire you know year before that, he was the narcissist. He feuded with my favorite wrestler, Mr. Perfect. And I was also one of those kids who watched WCW. And before he left WCW, he was being a jerk to Sting. And I didn't like that either. So screw yeah. Lex Luger. Yeah, they really... I, I think you have two problems here. Um, I'm going to go back to you in a second, Pat, and then Chris for your thoughts on this. And then we actually have to talk about SummerSlam for a little bit. But it, it seems like... Vince just looked at Lex Luger and go, oh, okay, you're another version of Hulk Hogan. This will work just fine because it worked It worked with Hulk Hogan. It'll work with you. But except that Hulk Hogan and Lex Luger couldn't have more different personalities. Oh, Luger boy, you're not hates, wrong. Luger apparently hates people. Like, Hulk Hogan's need for validation is, is, is the thing that drives him. It's his major motivator. He wants to be loved. He will lie, cheat, and steal so that people will love him. And that's all that matters. Lex Luger doesn't seem to give a a, a damn what people think of him. Up until and he just wants to wrestle, apparently. Up until like he's like not a good worker. Up until late 96, 97, Lex mm -hmm. Luger looked like he never gave a shit about what he was doing. <laughs> and that's not transparent to the audience. No, right. Exactly. Right. So it's so it's like I, I don't understand. I, I know Pritchard talks about. I don't want to get too long on this, but Pritchard talks about how people will just tell Vince McMahon what they think he wants to hear, and they won't be honest with him because honesty gets you removed from the room. And so, the, you know, the trick is convincing Vince you believe the BS coming out of your mouth. And there, there couldn't have been – everyone had to know that anointing Lex was a bad idea because Lex doesn't have Hogan's personality. And look, you need to have the personality of somebody running for president when you're champion. You need to be out there, you know, kissing babies and, you know, and shaking hands and you have to sell yourself. And that's even, not something Luger wanted to do, which is great because they put him on a bus to do it. Even if not, you just have to be something <laughs> people can believe you actually are. Right. Yes. Think about this. Think about his inception, like his his actual debut in the WWE. I mean, they didn't even bring him right to a wrestling ring due to, you know, different very diff, due to reasons, we'll say. And, uh, you know, he went to the WBF Body Stars show on Saturday mornings. You know what I mean? This is how this guy debuted. Then they brought him in. He was narcissist. Of course, he's a heel. They gave no context. All of a sudden, the guy shows up in a friggin' helicopter right. and hip tosses Yokozuna, and we're all expected to love this guy. No, you didn't give us the build. You didn't give us the promos. You didn't give us the storyline. Making right. a wonder this fell flat. No no reason to to wonder. Did it's all in the execution. Have him on TV going, and this is why I hate the Japs? Not this is why I hate the Japs, but basically, like, you know, I'm a lot of things, but I'm first and foremost an American, and I'm yeah. not going to let anybody badmouth America, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And he was doing this in a three-piece suit as opposed to, like, a pair of blue jeans and a T-shirt and, like, it, it, you know, it just yeah. – uh, like, It doesn't I, work. I, I, th like, this is – you're talking about, like, my real, like, fandom awakening a lot in a lot of ways, and a lot of it's due to how much I dislike Lex Luger. So SummerSlam 1993 takes place at uh, the Palace of Auburn Hills. That is right. On August 30th, 1993. And there's two matches I want to focus on here. One is um, Jerry Lawler and Bret Hart. And I guess that that came out of the King of the Ring. This ends in a disqualification, Pat. How did we get from King of the Ring to SummerSlam with Jerry and Bret? 
Well, Lawler feels there can only be one king of the ring. And so after Brett wins that tournament and he's being celebrated with his, cro his crown and his scepter, Jerry Lawler assaults him and hits him with his, his throne and the scepter and actually winds up really hurting Brett. Jerry worked pretty stiff on him with that stuff. It was so a really good beatdown. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a receipt in this match when Brett locks him in the sharpshooter. And basically, Lawler, <laughs> Lawler spends time, I'm the real king, blah, blah, blah. He starts berating Brett's family and things, and Brett's not having it, so they're going to have this match at SummerSlam. Which, again, you just have Brett coming off this major performance, this star-making performance, and you book him against pudgy, shitty Jerry Lawler from Memphis, who's 40-something <laughs> years old. Who the audience doesn't know, by the way. Like yeah, I remember, the audience... I like you talk about like what drove you from wrestling, and and I know there's a significant age difference between um Chris Chris and I and Pat. So Chris and I are about the same age, and we're a good years couple older than Pat. But I remember like this is about where I quit. I was like, yeah, I'm done. And Gary Lawler was a big part of that. I'm like, I like you. You look like my neighbor. Number one, like you, out there in a, you look like Hank Hill, <laughs> and. I'm just I'm like, I don't need to. And, and I'm not interested in Bret Hart. I'm like, why am I watching my, you know, my fat neighbor wrestle, you know, the guy that used to wear pink and, you know, is a good wrestler, but has all the personality of a wet mop. Oh, come on here. Listen, I'm sure Pat watched his AWA back in the day and his, uh, you know, all the different promotions that, you know, that were able. You know what I mean? I saw Jerry Lawler. Go ahead. My main acknowledgement of Lawler pre-WWF was the ESPN would air USWA shows every so often. Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. And I was like, okay, this guy punches a lot. Fist drops. <laughs> and he punches more. And he, he can cut a great promo. I'll never take away Jerry Lawler's ability. Yep, absolutely. But again, you're talking about Jerry Lawler's most known for the, at this point for the Andy Kaufman feud. And nobody who's watching the show at this point knows what the hell that is because they weren't alive or weren't watching. Yeah, that was the 70s. Well, 80s, but you know, close enough. Yeah, sure. All right, so that's um, so so Jerry and and Brett go to a disqualification again. Not a great way to continue uh, pushing Brett. No, because they're going to extend this Lawler feud into the next pay per view, or so they thought. So they thought and it, and, pl and plus, if you want to talk about generational gaps between pay per views, do you think that you would ever ever be able to pull off this pay per view and the results? In 2021, it would be outrage, fan outrage, absolutely staggering riots in the street. This was laden with lame finishes like disqualifications and count outs. And holy cow. Speaking of lame finishes, the other match you want to talk about, Mark. Yes. OK, so Luger. So the, the, I, I need some straightening out here because I have heard many different stories about what was supposed to happen at this match and what didn't happen. But it's Yokozuna versus Lex Luger coming off the intrepid uh, event and right. like all the, all the signs were pointing towards a Lex Luger victory and anointing with the title. And that doesn't happen, Chris. Um, now I've heard one story where Luger was telling everybody in a bar that he was going to win the title. And they were like, well, you've now given away the results. We can't do that anymore. So we're going to keep it on Yoko, but we'll, we'll let you keep your heat because it'll be a count out instead. I've heard that's not the case. I think Pritchard's like, that's not what happened. We never intended to put the title on Luger. No, not ever. So oh, I, I cry foul at that for the not, simple fact that they actually filmed him or just doing some house show type material, mm -hmm. uh, him coming out just with the belt. So they were playing with that idea to say that they were never, ever, ever going to consider putting that strap on him on this pay-per-view, I think is a, uh, a bunch of shit. What I, do you I, think, Pat? I don't think they were going to do it here. I think the plan was right. to eventually do it, but I think this was to whet the appetite mm -hmm. and it was a poor but thought process in how they did it. I remember the, the stuff where Luger would come out with the belt. He runs off at a, at a taping. He runs off uh, Yoko and Fuji from the ring, but they drop the belt behind. And then uh, Lex picks up the belt and Vince is in the ring as the interviewer. Oh, what do you think about Lex Luger as WWF champion? <laughs> Very and clever. To gauge, to gauge audience response. And it right. was lukewarm thought was we need to build a little more and get more momentum behind him that was what i was going to say i think the truth yep. was they were very much intending to anoint luger at SummerSlam, but they were testing the waters with it and he wasn't testing well with the audience correct i think that's i think that's exactly where we were and not only that you gotta you gotta consider the fact that this luger that we had here they had this full celebration plan so why did they drop the balloons why did they have the steiners lift them on his shoulders this Hogan or, must pose Send the audience home happy because they're not going to worry about some silly finish where he doesn't win the belt. I tell you what, I was I was at a bar in St. John's, Newfoundland. I drove two hours to see this thing. And I'm telling you right now, the people at the Strand in St. John's, Newfoundland, the bar, were outraged when Luger won 
Was it Cow? Yeah, it was by Countout. Countout, who does that? Oh. Yeah, this was this was crap. Um, so just because he shows up in the next pay-per-view, we can also talk about Shawn Michaels uh, taking on Mr. Perfect for the umpteen zillionth time. I mean, yeah. like this is this is a hell of a pay-per-view here. You have Owen, Barry Horowitz, uh, Diesel, Ted DiBiase, sorry, Ramon, Razor Ramon, Ted DiBiase, the Steiners and the Heavenly Bodies, Sean with Diesel versus Perfect, IRS versus Sean Waltman. Um, yeah, tell me about how we got to, um, it's actually Doink the Clown that wrestled Brett, not uh, not Jerry Lawler. I, I misread that. Um, okay, so it's Brett versus Doink. And then Brett versus Jerry, and that, and they both end in disqualification. Apparently, yikes! Uh, Ludwig Borga, Borga, and Marty Janetti, the Undertaker in a rematch with Giant Gonzalez in a Rest in Peace match. Um, <laughs> wow! This whole show stinks, except for Steiners and Head Shrinkers. I mean, do, do, or Steiners, do, Steiners and Bodies. Excuse me. What a shock! The Steiner Brothers had the best be, match on pay per view. They can't possibly be wondering why this didn't work. All right, so Pat. That takes us to the Survivor Series. Um, you know, over the fall, how do we get from SummerSlam to Survivor Series? What are Yoko and Lex doing? What are Brett and Jerry doing? So Lex's contract for the title match against Yoko basically stipulated that this would be his one and only title match. Mm-hmm. So Lex is trying to get this groundswell of support and get his hands on Yokozuna any way he can. The next way they do it is by having the Survivor Series match with each build teams. Lex is going to build the All-Americans. Yoko is going to build the Foreign Fanatics. Um, Yeah. So uh, Lex is kind of dealing with uh, not only Yoko, but now Ludwig Borga, this mercenary who's been put in his way to try to stop him. Um, Brett and Jerry are engaging still in a war because Brett's not satisfied because he didn't get the win over Lawler at SummerSlam because the decision was reversed to a disqualification because Brett refused to release the sharpshooter. Right. And now Lawler's really taken to mocking Stu and Helen Hart to get at Brett because it's very schoolyard. And why wouldn't you get upset at somebody making fun of your parents and whatever? Because right. they have nothing better for Brett at this point. Um, and at the same time, Brett and Lawler are doing this feud down in Lawler's promotion in Memphis where the roles are reversed, where Lawler's the baby face and Brett's the heel. Because, um, you know, Vince, Jerry, Jerry, yeah, whatever. Um, but, yeah, so what happens is, unfortunately, Lawler is accused of statutory rape by a regular fan from the Memphis territory mm-hmm. who says she he was allegedly doing this or this with her. Lawler's like, no, I took her and got a cheeseburger and took her to the mall and that's it. Uh, this is not the first nor the last time Waller is involved <laughs> with a school age gal. Uh, the ring rats. Yeah. No, they're not ring rats. They're school age gals. Oh, boy. Yep. Yeah. It won't be the first time we've heard about it. It won't be the last time we hear about it. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, my favorite insult on commentary, maybe ever, is when Joey Styles said to Lawler, Shouldn't you be at the senior prom looking for your next wife? Um, <laughs> bang bang so we we now pivot from lawler to sean michaels who's also coming out of this feud with perfect and now they're transitioning perfect at this time to feud with diesel to get diesel finally involved as an in-ring competitor but that means they don't have anything immediately for sean so sean's going to be slid into this role and they do like a one week build to this match where sean makes fun of Stu and helen using impersonators and stuff it's and really everybody. rough too. It's really, really yeah. rough material here with Michaels, and you could feel the shoehornness of this entire angle. It came yeah, out of nowhere, it. and they had yeah. one week to plan it. You watch it, and everybody just farts at the angle, and it's like, okay, well, we're going to get a much better match out of it because you have Sean instead of Lawler, which is great, and Brett and Sean have great chemistry, and you have Brett and his family, which is uh, Owen naturally at the time was under contract, but they also bring out his brothers Bruce and Keith, who were longtime pro wrestlers against these mystery knights, which, and the gimmick was Sean, it was supposed to be Lawler and knights, King and knights makes sense. Now right. Sean and knights, which doesn't make any sense. And the gimmick was supposed to be each knight was a famous wrestler of the past. That they would unmask as they beat them. And it was supposed to be Greg Valentine, uh, Jer- uh, Terry Funk Jeff, and somebody else. Jeff Gaylord. Uh, it, Jeff Gaylord did end up being the black knight. And I think yeah. they're going to have him as just a mystery muscle guy. Jeff Gaylord was a Memphis talent at the time. And Lombardi, wasn't it? Was Lombardi one? I think he was uh, in the end of it. Uh, I wound up being uh, Jeff Gaylord, Valentine, and I believe Barry Horowitz. Correct. Oh, main eventers anywhere in the country. Yeah. So they don't end up unmasking him because Terry Funk's horse got sick. And Valentine, you knew it was Valentine <laughs> as soon as you saw him in the ring. Mm-hmm. You know, a boxcar like Gorilla Monsoon used to call him. <laughs> you can't mistake Greg Valentine's physique. Nobody else looks like that. It's Greg Hard. Valentine. Hardest working man in the first 10 years of WrestleMania history. 
Um, all right. So, and then, so those are your two featured matches. You have the uh, the Hart family versus Shawn Michael and his knights. Um, this is won by the Hart family, but this is the setup to a much more interesting feud, which is Brett and Owen, which um, kicks off WrestleMania 10, but we'll get there shortly. And in your main event, you know, as we said before, you have Luger and his uh, Americans defeating the foreign fanatics, uh, which takes us now to the Royal Rumble. All righty. Um, so the Undertaker is like, again, still kicking around at this time. Um, the Undertaker is actually going to get a shot here at Yokozuna. And I got to talk about this because this I watched with my friends at the time. Like I said, I've been out on wrestling for a little while. But one of my friends got all the pay-per-views and we all kind of, you know, went over to his house. And, he, you know, his was the party house. So I was there for this. And I remember everyone, like, when The Undertaker gets um, beaten by Yokozuna in a casket match. But he got beat because the entire heel locker room ran out to, to beat him up. <laughs> We all were like, I, I, if there was ever a moment that collectively lost the entire male, male generation or, you know, of teenagers on wrestling, it was that moment. This was the worst thing ever, Chris Bailey. Yeah, man, that was rough. I mean, you know, they were really, really trying to protect the undertaker here. You know, he had to, uh, was it the face surgery, Pat, I think was happening here. Was uh, no, he, was what was, what was his time? Uh, what was his time off for here? Probably just cause he was lazy. <laughs> so he's just taking a refresher okay in two, we got in 2000, it in 2002 he did some kind of interview oh you know i've only really taken two breaks during my career you take an 18 break shut up <laughs> yes exactly Stop. you wrestle one match a year sometimes but yeah this was this was a cluster and like you said you talk about killing killing the crowd i mean uh wwe was doing great at this at the time i mean between the sean michael shoehorn the finishes nothing was spinning in the right direction man and uh you know it felt rudderless at the time and uh it wouldn't return for, for uh, you know, until many years down the road, unfortunately. I mean, we, we talked about with WrestleMania 6, 7, and 8, how there were cracks forming and everything. And I think I, I think I said around 8, between 8 and 9 is when the whole windshield just blows off the car. I mean, but if you think about what's going to happen, this is 1990, we're now into 1994. They're not going to recover until 1998. Like 97, they're at least now, you know, They've lifted the ship and they're they're out of the nosedive, but they don't. It, nothing starts to work until it starts working in '97, and they start to see the results of it working in '98. And so you think about like this is a four year period of just drizzling poop, <laughs> like they're just tripping over their own penis. I'm really trying to clean up my language for modern modernization. Can you tell? Just tripping <laughs> over themselves. <laughs> They can't get anything to work. You know, they can't depend on anybody. And then there's poor Brett going, but what about me, Vince? And Vince is constantly looking for a prettier girl. Like, he's just not, he's not into Brett. It's it's very, it's, and we'll, we'll get to talk more about that down the line, too. Yeah. But, you know, you have your most consistent performer. Right. At this point, he's the one guy getting your best audience reactions of any mm -hmm. of your talents. And we won't commit to him. This is the warrior all over again. It's, it's, but it's funny you said that because he's. This is exactly why the guy gets the boost because he's there. He's you know he's consistent. He's showing up. Other yeah. guys aren't. Other guys are taking a powder left, right, and center. Oh, I need some time off. This doesn't work for me, brother. All the different excuses are piling up on Vince. He's got nobody to rely to, and all of a sudden he sees the guy with the sunglasses in the corner. Hey, he shows up. Right. I'm sorry. I say like, I. You know, I need time off. This doesn't work for me, brother. I don't like children. <laughs> I'm talking about Lex Luger. Um, you know, it's so like, yeah, no, like he, Vince is trying all these different guys because he's just not that into Brett. And all Brett wants is to be told he's a good boy. And Vince is like, won't do it. You know? Yeah. And, and again, Vince still thinks that the, the public is, is keyed in on a larger than life superhero looking character that they right. need. That's how we're going to save this thing. Much the way Bill Watts thought, like, hey, a black baby face is my best way to go. After JYD leaves, I'm going to put, you know, George Wells in and I'm going to put Snowman in. And neither one of them could do anything to draw audiences. Right. So um, this is since uh, 92, you know, everyone says it's like the best Royal Rumble ever. There's a handful of other ones. This one has a really fun finish. Um, and all anyone ever remembers is the finish of this Royal Rumble. Brett and Lex could go over at the same time. And it's like, well, who whose feet hit the ground first? And it's determined to be a tie. And so what they're going to do is basically a mini tournament at WrestleMania 10, which is going to be uh, decided by coin flip. 
Um, so it's Brett and Owen, essentially in bracket A. Yoko and Lex in bracket B, and then the winners face off at the main. In the Do main you remember event. who Lex's opponent would have been had he lost the coin toss? It was Crush. Yes, very good, Mark. Woohoo! Yay. Um, and that's it. So just real, just your really brief thoughts, Chris, and then we're going to go right into WrestleMania 10. What did you think of the finish of the Royal Rumble? Uh, listen, I mean, necessary, obviously, when you're going through it. I mean, uh, I watched it live, of course, because that's what we did back then. Everybody got together to watch pay-per-view. And I think where it was such an interesting finish at the time, I think it won our boys over. So, you know, I recall a happy house at the end of that night and wondering and couldn't wait to tune into wrestling the next week, which is exactly what you should get and very important during this era because, boy, there was not a lot to tune in for week to week. All right, uh, so we're going to get into the review of WrestleMania 10 now in totem. But first, let me talk to you about Grammarly, which would have greatly helped Vince McMahon write a better product at the time had he had it. You know what I mean, Pat? Here we go. So Grammarly's for you listeners of the Mania of WrestleMania podcast on the Rattle and Broadcasting Network brought to you by W2M. Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. You download Grammarly for free. After 10 years of uh, creating larger-than-life events, selling out stadiums, touring around the world they bring it all home again the house that hogan built madison square garden for wrestlemania 10 um, the mecca of sports entertainment damn right and we uh our dark match here is the heavenly bodies versus the bushwhackers chris bailey what, have you seen this one? Is this showing up anywhere? <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen this much later. But, uh, boy, old Gigolo Jim there uh, really, really milking the audience at this one. I would call this one gross because two things I'm grossed at by are the Bushwhackers and uh, Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey. I mean, this is this is gross. Yeah. If a man didn't need ever to gyrate, it was Jimmy Del Rey. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. And there's something about orange hair on a person that, that bothers me. I don't know what it is. All right, so um, our our match to kick things off here is probably the best match of the, the entire show. Like, other than the ladder match with Razor and Sean, depending on, you know, what you think of matches like that. This is the best wrestled match. The, the one with the most emotional investment. The, the ones with the best workers. Uh, Owen versus Brett. And surprise, surprise, kicking things off, you know, in an auspicious way. Owen defeats Brett dead center in the middle of the mm -hmm. ring. 20 minutes and 21 seconds pat you i mean i know i know just over our years of being friends and talking with our pals and other chats about wrestling we're never particularly high on brett or the undertaker but he, i don't think you can deny him this match i'm not high on brett as a person mm -hmm. i'm high on brett as a performer mm -hmm. this match is unbelievable this is a five-star match um absolutely the two of them just work so well together. The countering is so nice and crisp and, and looks realistic in the exchanges as opposed to doing a tumbling routine. The the one-upsmanship between the brothers is there, and it gets you can see where it gets heated, and each brother playing their role is like the younger brother looking to step up and the older brother who's reluctantly having to pound his little brother into obedience. It's 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 so well thought out, so well performed. Um, and the the finish, a lot of people, even though it made so much sense, didn't see coming. Nobody really thought Owen was going to pin Brett one, two, three in the middle of the ring and, and does so. And I can tell you the whole garden was just like, huh? Right. We were all in shock because we just didn't see Brett losing, especially on a night where you know he's going to get a title shot later on in the night. Now, of course, hindsight being 2020, you know, oh, okay, we've just set up the next program. It's Brett and Owen since Owen's just beat Brett. Right. But it was such a shock at the time because you just didn't see a guy who was going to lose and win in the same night so often. But man, it was such a such a great match, and and you know because you have two of, if not the best performers in ring in the WWF at the time, two of the very best, doing what they do best for 20 minutes, which a lot of guys didn't get that much time to do these things, and it just didn't stop. It's amazing they're gonna. It's amazing that the WWF in this era can tell a decent story if they try hard enough. 
And they really, you know, if you think about the, you know, the beginnings of this starting at the previous Survivor Series, and it's going to go all the way to the next to the Survivor Series 1994, you know, where they transition the title off of Brett to to Bob Backlund and then Bob Backlund to Diesel the following month. You think about that's a year long build, not since Hogan and Savage do they put this much time and effort and consistency into anything they've done with anybody else. And I have to really applaud them. Brett and Owen is probably like peak WWE in this at this time, Chris. No question at all. And let me tell you something. You talk about nobody expecting Owen Hart to pull that win. I think Canada as a country celebrated when Owen Hart won this one. <laughs> we were jumping off our couch. We had our hands to our head going, what the hell just happened? And man, I couldn't have been more happier for Owen Hart at that particular point. What a, what an ending. You know, you got the... Um, did, you pop the his, did you pop the cork off your maple syrup and drink? Oh, we did. We we did it all. We gathered around the igloo. We cooked back bacon. We did it all. It was we we had all kinds of what's that all the boots and oh, it was crazy. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Um, Bam Bam uh, and Luna Vashon. I looked at my wife during this. So it's Bam Bam and Luna versus Doink the Clown and Dink the Clown. So we have a you know, we have a fat guy, a woman, a clown, and a midget walk into a bar. Um, and this I looked like at an XPW tape. Yeah, and I looked at my wife, and I was after watching the Dark Side of the Ring with her, and I was just like, "Do you just feel? Do you watch this and just feel bad for Luna?" And she was like, "You know, this is what um, this is what Medusa was talking about, where it was like you just you just wanted to be paid for what you did, and you took the jobs you could get, and they just weren't using women seriously at that time, and so." Kind of, but it, you know, but at least she's working. She's in the you know, she's in a high profile match at WrestleMania. This is her second WrestleMania appearances in two appearances. You know what I mean? In two years, so it's like they're doing, they're using Luna. You know, they're, they're using Luna. She's not like cast to the side. I, it's like you somewhat feel bad for her, and on the but on the other hand, she's doing what women did in the WWF at that time. In any case. Bam Bam here in the second featured match of the night is going to be a major player for this company in a very weird way between 94 and 95. Like he's in main events and stuff. He's in big time matches, but he never gets like a real marquee program. And it kind of starts here with him and effing Doink the Clown, Pat. Yeah, the guy playing Doink at this point in time is a friend of Bam Bam's named Ray Apollo, who Bam Bam recommended to replace Matt Bourne. Mm -hmm. uh, in the words of Jay Sherman, it stinks. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. This was just trash. This was this. I was watching this um, the other night, and I was laughing. There's, there's no work to be appreciated, but as a silly spectacle at WrestleMania, I was amused, Chris. This tells you how good Bam Bam is. He could work with anything and anybody and just to even get you to laugh because I certainly wasn't laughing at this one. I hated Dink and Doink at the time and uh, couldn't get this off my screen long enough. But I tell you what, Bam Bam and Luna worked their ass off to try to make this at least passable. God bless them. Luna and the midget are the highlight of this match. Like Luna working with the midget and doing midget spots. It's like hysterical to me. Moving on. Um, Randy Savage versus Crush Pat. Randy had taken a year off. They tried to put him in the commentary booth. Um, the, the psychology of this is very, very clear to me that they were trying to give Randy all the opportunities in the world to rest and not outwork himself and not fall apart and look as best he could. This, this entire match is set up so that Randy has plenty of rest spots. Yeah, because he's not consistently wrestling at this point in time. So right. he's not going to be in ring shape. And also Randy's, you know, approaching, you know, in, in, in his 40s. He's not the same Randy who you had in 1986 and 87. He's not the best bout machine version of Randy. The problem is he's still arguably the most over guy on the roster. And you're marginalizing <laughs> him and pushing him to the back burner. And I'll say again, like I say a lot of times, if you put Randy and Lex Luger in a ring together, who do you think is the younger, fresher, more dynamic performer? Right. Ain't even close. <laughs> Yeah, um, this is Younger? special to me because even though definitely pressure, even though it's kind of a lousy match, it's Randy's last WrestleMania match, and mm -hmm. it's it's special to me in that regard. It's the last televised WWF match he has at this point, so it holds some some very uh, sentimental feeling for me uh, because he's the Macho Man because he's been you know Mister WrestleMania really to this point out of anybody, right? Um, and it's it's not a great match, but it's a great send off for Randy who gets his revenge on Crush. Who cut some uh, Randy cut some fire promos before this, calling out Hulk Hogan as a backstabber too, which was great. Um, and they aired them, and uh, basically crushes their Hulk Hogan in this role as a backstabbing friend. And uh, Randy gets to shine one last time. 
has anybody had including Hulk Hogan, I would say Randy Savage has had the best consistent run of opponents. George the Animal Steel, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, um, Butch Reed, Greg Valentine, Honky Talk Man, One Man Gang, yeah, Ted DiBiase in one night, <laughs> Hogan, um, Dusty, Dusty, Warrior, Flair, and then he took eight, and then he, he takes nine off, and then he ends with Crush. I mean, but that's a that's a pretty stiff. Line. Oh, just Mania opponents. Okay, I thought you were going with just feuds. No, no, no. I'm talking Mania opponents. Okay. Like, can like even Hogan can't necessarily lay claim to having that level. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I he, you're right. He is Mr. WrestleMania before before Sean takes that title. He, uh, Randy Savage really is uh, Mr. WrestleMania. What did you think of the match, Chris? What did you think of uh, Fresh versus Savage? Ah, uh, let me tell you something. Not, nothing really to see here. I will tell you though. I think if I'm not mistaken, Crush was dominating him on the house show circuit. I mean, I don't think there was a lot of wins for uh, for Randy Savage at all. And to be honest with you, I sort of expected a loss here from Savage. So seeing him get the win and tying a nice, neat little bow on his career here at, at WrestleMania was was he good. His ankles. <laughs> oh my god so this one ended backstage did it not the, was this the, not rule, a... the rule was you had to make it to the to the ring after you pinned the opponent for before the count of 10 or whatever if you were pinned you had to count, yep. count. so and he tied him up. crush up upside down as best he could <laughs> yeah, so and it was sloppy as f I'm a huge Randy Savage fan, just like uh, just like Pat was as well. And let me tell you something: uh, every single WrestleMania, I would come in and just cross my fingers Randy Savage was going to win. So seeing him here was uh, was a breath of fresh air. All right. So the next couple of matches lost me entirely to the point where I think I had the I had WrestleMania on in the background yeah. while I worked on W2M pages. That's how much the next half of this sucks. Imagine starting being, st Yeah, starting with. Medusa now calling herself Alundra Blaze in your, you know, obligatory women's match of the night versus Leilani Kai. Who we haven't seen since WrestleMania. <laughs> hey, I had lunch with Leilani Kai. Oh, yeah. I did. Yes, I did. How was your That's lunch? <laughs> that was another story for another day. It was WrestleCon. Uh, we, we got to be paired with a legend. And people were getting like ECW stars. You know, they had the Tommy Dreamers. And they had the Shane Douglases. And they had all kinds of different people. And I got Leilani Kai. I was happy. Yeah. My lunch with Leilani Kai <laughs> sounds like an adult video one might watch. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, like Medusa's a halfway decent female wrestler. Um, Leilani Kai is a, 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 a veteran, clearly. What'd you think of the match, Pat? Neither here nor there. This Chris. was popcorn. Yep. Anything interesting about this match for you? Uh, no, no. Listen, you, they're doing their best to elevate a lunger blaze with zero talent around her. You know what I mean? So they yeah. really got to make something work. So they put her in a put her in a match with a worker who could literally just do a couple rolls for and a couple flips. Leilani Kai was definitely not glamour girl Leilani Kai or even Leilani Kai WrestleMania one. I mean, this this was <laughs> this was an aged person here at this point. But guess what? She could still take take a few tumbles and the lunger went over. Problem solved. Nobody cared. Vince McMahon walked into a board meeting with Bruce Pritchard and Jim Cornette and um, and others and was like, I have understand the people like the hippity hop. Have you heard the hippity hop? Something about a run, run DMC, perhaps? I don't. Let's get some hippity hop into the ring. You want to know what's sad? Do you, do you want to know what's sad? And you what's sad about all that? What is that? That my knowledge of hip hop probably comes from Vince McMahon. I that's horrifying. Um, so, Pat, Vince McMahon suddenly getting hip to the hippity hop got us to men on a mission. Fill in the blanks for me. Uh, they were a tag team in Memphis called the Harlem Knights. Vince wanted tag team, saw them. Then he heard this guy rapping who was a fan at a show and was like, God damn, what's he doing, pal? That's called rap, Vince, hip hop. We need to get something like that. Put him with those guys we just brought up from Memphis, but we're going to make baby faces. And thus, Men on a Mission was born. I never cared anything about anything they did, much like the Quebecers, who I thought were just a shitty version of the Rougeos with a shitty gimmick. I hated everything about them. I hated everything about this yep. match. I hated Johnny Polo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Moving on. Well, I, I want to say this. Having grown up in the hoods of Long Island as I did, I, wanna, I was born a small black child on the South Valley Street. Oh, my Jefferson God. Avenue, man. 
That's right. right. That's Tim Brewer. Um, <laughs> even, you know, I, now 1994, I'm going to, I'm long since having moved out of the black neighborhood. I'm about to graduate high school. I've been there since I'm 12 in, in the white neighborhood. But even, I, but I looked at this, I looked at Men on a Mission and I was like, are you effing kidding me? This is what they think rap music is? Like, we're, how, we're, we're a few years plus or minus the, the West Coast gangster rap revolution, for God's sakes, and this is what we're going with? I was like, burn WWF to the ground. <laughs> like, there's no saving it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to college and, and jump in mosh pits. That's, I'm done with this. Like, I can't, like, if they, if I had to just, like, gun to my head, point to one thing that drove me away from the WWF until the Attitude Era, it was probably Men on a Mission. I, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> I couldn't either. And, and you know what, this, seeing, this these, seeing these... This offends me as an ally of the black community. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, I always felt that Mo, you know, mm -hmm. Mabel's Mabel's henchman, his other his tag team partner, was like, I mean, he had to carry the two in the ring because Mabel was so big. And Mabel would come in, he would do the big leg drop, he would do the belly to belly suplex. But yeah. Mo was considered the workhorse, and I always felt that Mo was like five hundred years old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it just looks so out of sync. Here we were doing a rap gimmick. He had a guy who was like ready, like two feet in the grave with dirt already on his head, and you had this guy rapping to the ring. And what you said, I mean, the rap itself was just unbearable. Like really, really bad. He was out of sync. He lost his place a hundred times to the ring. And PN news look like dr dre oh my I god mean, he does why he does. the signers tied him upside down and put him in a urinal <laughs> indeed but, right. but I, want you, I want you to think about something so as bad as that was coming to the ring the whole package then the bell rang so you talk about the ultimate warrior no no my friend talk about men on the mission <laughs> terrible just awful speaking of awful yokozuna with mr fuji and jim Cornette defeats lex luger by take a drink everybody disqualification oh my god will with you mr. stop with mr perfect as a special guest referee mr perfect might be the best wrestler in the history of professional wrestling based on how he behaves in the ring it's i i now understand why pat when he goes to church he prays to the patron saint kurt hennig this his the, the conclusion of this match is so fantastic because Lex Luger went crazy, started just dragging people into the ring and punching them. And, you know, everyone's just laid out. It's, you know, it's Lex Luger's world. We're all just living in it. He, you know, he goes to pin Yokozuna and Mr. Perfect doesn't want him to win. Mr. Perfect is now looking around going, how do I get out of this? And he sees Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette shouldn't be in the ring. I need to get him out of here. This is not safe. It's not. It's totally... It's it's totally believable in the sense that like that's all true, very true. It's probably not your highest priority, but you're not doing technically anything wrong. And Luker's like WTF, and so he goes to Perfect and he's like, pay attention to the match happening in the ring and not what you're doing over here. And Perfect says, no, this is not a safe place for a manager to be. He's not an in-ring competitor. And so there's more fisticuffs and more flying and more you know ballyhoo. And uh, yeah, and he goes to pin Yokozuna again. And Mr. Perfect looks around and he goes, well, Mr. Fuji shouldn't be in the ring. That's not safe for him. He's not an in-ring competitor. And Luger loses his mind. And what do you know, Pat? He puts his hands on the official. You don't do that. You don't. you don't do that. And he's disqualified. And gosh darn it, Mr. Perfect did everything right. This is the most smarmy heel thing in the history of smarmy heelness. It's amazing. It's the roles they should have been in when they first feuded with each other back at WrestleMania 9. Mm -hmm. Now they're getting it right. And the hope was that Henning was actually going to come back in the ring and they were going to pick this feud up at that point. But Kurt just uh, wasn't able to clear his Lloyds of London stuff mm -hmm. and just wasn't able to come back as a wrestler. So it didn't happen, unfortunately. But I got a shining moment for Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania 10 as mm -hmm. a lifelong huge biggest mr perfect fan and the guy who hated lex luger i'm a you know young kid in the audience just cheering my brains out at this finish <laughs> and you have parents really kind of really confused like does he know who he's supposed to be rooting for and you know <laughs> but there's a lot of other kids there who hated luger too and they were all like yeah good luger's not winning the title yep this was look i i crap on the wwe for the things they do wrong but when they write something that's truly brilliant i have to give them slow clap
<laughs> yeah, me, uh, me too. I was right with you there, Pat. I mean, I'm telling you right now, nobody wanted Lex Luger in in my my circle of friends. I'll tell you, nobody wanted Luger with that belt. So when you know, it was sort of a red herring at the beginning when when um, Bret Hart lost, and then Lex Luger lost, and we're like, what in the hell are these guys doing? Like we we were just baffled by the booking, and then you know, of course how we ended up but uh, man did did we not want lex luger and boy we were over the moon when luger lost here you really also or, have to be careful with who you put in with your big monsters i mean yokozuna could move but he was you know also a big fatty so you have to get a guy in there that knows <laughs> how to bounce off of you knows how to work with a big guy and luger is one of these guys who's a body but he i don't and luger i think is a capable worker but I don't think he's a guy that really understands psychology or what to do with your opponent in the kind of shape that they're in. And so this match kind of crumbles until the very end because Luger basically in plain English doesn't know how to work with Yoko. Yeah, it's it's, it's evident. And then Randy worked with Yoko on a, t- a tape special that aired a week before this. Mm-hmm. Totally different match. Right. But even Brett's two matches with Yoko, Brett, you know, Brett's match with... Um, with Yoko at WrestleMania nine. And then the one we're going to see in a little bit. I mean, Brett knows what he's doing. Brett bounces off Yoko just fine. Far different level of capability as a performer. Uh, what I'm pointing to specifically is Lex Luger just mentally doesn't get it. No. It's, it becomes very, very clear. And even in WCW, like he can pose, he can stand in the ring really nice, but the, you know, and if somebody's leading him, he's fine. But if he has to lead, or if he has to figure out what to do with a guy the size of like Paul White or whatever, he doesn't know what he's doing. And it just it, it goes to pieces really fast. Correct. Transitions are out the door. There's no psychology. Uh, you can really tell that he struggles if something goes awry. You know what I mean? Which in a lot of these matches it did because Lex Luger didn't know how to, you know, I mean, to just even to take a shoulder tackle. Luger mm-hmm. really didn't even know how to sell that properly. It was sort of like, okay, I ran into you. Now I should fall down. You know what I mean? He just didn't get it at all. Well, fortunately, on the flip side, we do have two guys that did get it with a ladder. Yeah. But before that, Earthquake in 35 seconds defeats Adam Bomb. I blinked and missed this, Pat. I loved it. Earthquake's last WrestleMania, he got a big spot in it. He got the win in very short order, which was cool. Like made him look dominant. This is also cut for time constraints, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, babyface Earthquake, I'm all about it. Canada, baby. Let's go. Yep, absolutely. Was he no, he wasn't Canadian Earthquake at this time. He's just he's Earthquake. Still Canadian. He's Earthquake. Oh, he's still Canadian. Yeah, baby. That's what I'm talking about. But yeah, 30 seconds. I mean, you talk about it, Adam Bomb. They they did what they had to do to build people up. Look at that. Actually give people wins. Amazing. All right. Uh now we get to the the only other match anyone ever remembers about this show is the ladder match. Um, I think what has been said about this that Sean and, and Razor wrestled the ladder. Uh Rick Rick Flair said. I've heard him a thousand times. Sean had a match with the ladder, not giving any credit to Scott Hall. Okay. I don't think that's true. I, I watch no. this pretty critically. Um, it It's so funny because it's gonna. It, this is going to get imitated and repeated ad nauseum for the next decade. Like, there are guys that are veterans now that looked at that match and was like, that's all I ever want to do with the rest of my life is fall off ladders. I don't think a single one of them ever got what made that this match really special. Sean and... Sean and Razor had a wrestling match. There was a ladder there. It wasn't about falling off the ladder, which is what every single match for the next decade. Tables, ladders, and chairs is a celebration of falling to your death into a very small drinking glass. Observe. I, I it, <laughs> <laughs> it is this it is the same thing. It is how many car crashes can we create? As opposed to Razor and Sean. And I can't even say this about their second one. It's really this first one, this very special first one, which stands out as one of the best gimmick matches I've ever seen. Pat. They craft a match to involve a ladder. They don't mm-hmm. craft a match around a ladder. Yes. The ladder is a participant in the match. It isn't an obstacle for which they can throw themselves off of. Yelling, I regret nothing. Although I do like the second match better because I think it plays off a lot of the psychology of what they did in this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more complete storytelling. Sure. But this match deserves all the praise it gets to me because it was revolutionary. It was each guy really busting out everything they could to make mm-hmm. this special for the spectacle that it was. Even though it's not the first ladder match, it's the most well-remembered because of the the stage it was on, because of the two guys, not one, the two guys right. who performed in it. They did a lot with what they had. The, you know, you have the splash spot. They botched the finish up, which a lot of people don't realize, and then they had to use the finish that Brett and Sean came up with, which is a point of contention for Brett. Um, where Sean gets tied in the ropes and Razor goes up and gets the belts. 
-hmm. They also go along and cause the 10 man tag match to be cut from the show. <laughs> That's too but bad. It's, it's, it's a great match. Each guy got the shine and each guy got to stamp themselves as a future major player in the company. Potentially. Yeah. What'd you think of the match, Chris? Oh, come on. Come on. So we started this show with, uh, well, second match on the card was Owen versus Brett. I mean, just, just blew the roof off it. I remember the exhilaration coming out of that one saying, there's no way they're going to top that. And, of course, then we had the lull. Then we had men on the mission. We had Bam Bam Bigelow. We had all the different crap that wedged in the middle. You know, a little bit of, a little bit of thanks there for Savage. And then the ladder match. Man, oh, man, this was incredible to watch back then. I mean, revolutionary. Shawn Michaels at the height of his powers, you know what I mean? Not a height of his powers, but height of his bumping ability. I mean, this guy literally, like you said, there, there is some credence to the fact that he had a match with a ladder. Yes, Razor Ramon was in it, but boy, did Shawn carry the majority of the load. And, you know, Razor was glad to have a payday out of this one. But I think he did carry his own. Like, you know, Razor Ramon is a big star. And uh, I loved, loved, loved this match. But boy, did that cause havoc later on because we got to see it a billion times over. <laughs> over wanna, and over and over ad nauseum. I want to say one thing about this. Also, it's an example of how to do a gimmick match in the sense that it has the gimmick has to be a resolution to a problem inherent in the story. So Sean was the Intercontinental title, then Sean got jumped by Marines. No, no, no. Sean was, decided not to do a job, allegedly failed a drug test, refused to give the belt back. Okay. So and is the Marine thing not, not around this time? or No, that's later on. That's okay. when he decides to not drop a belt again. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then Razor won a vacant battle royal by beating Rick Martel to win the mm -hmm. belt. Now there's two champions, Sean with his right. fake belt, Razor with the real one, etc. Here we go. Two so belts, whole, one champion. So, so crawling up the ladder to claim both belts is a resolution to, but who is the real champion? It made yeah. sense in the context of things, yes. Right. You know, right. years later when they do the elimination chamber, it's a resolution of, or we have 50 guys all in the number one spot. How are we going to decide who the number one contender is for Triple H? Okay, we'll put them all in this stupid cage match. Things like that. You know, the hell in the cell with Sean and, and The Undertaker is a resolution to the fact that they almost killed everybody in the building <laughs> at ground zero. You know, and they had to be separated and a poor cameraman will never be able to play the piano again. It was a whole mess. And so, you know, that was the point of hell in the cell. You know, we're in an era now, and I only, the only reason I bring it up as a contrast, we're in an era now where the gimmicks don't resolve anything. They're not part of the story. They're, they're part of the season. Oh, look, it's hell in the cell season. It's money in the bank season. It's this season. It's that season. So just what we didn't what we didn't talk about here is that it was for two belts. So two belts on the line. Shawn Michaels returns. He still got the Intercontinental title. He didn't drop it. Uh, Razor Ramon had defeated uh, Rick Martel, I believe, in a uh, tournament. Just covered all of that. Yeah. Yeah. What? We did. I don't know where you, you drifted into another universe, but literally that was exactly what Pat said. What, that he had beaten Martel? Yes. And and that Sean refused to do the job. We two oh, belts. no, no, I heard all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the two belts. Yeah, yeah. But I was I was a big fan of the whole two belt thing. So anytime someone else brought a belt, it was Ric Flair coming in. I was super into it. Um, you know, the fact that two belts were above the ring and we were going to decide one champion, that was, that was way, way, that was another piece that, you know, really, really brought my attention to the ring. So, you know, right. and plus that tournament. Wasn't Tito Santana in that tournament? I, that's one thing I want no, to talk about. Battle Royal, where the last two guys had a match, and it was Martell. And yeah, Ray Battle Ray Royal, right Ray. on. Yes, it was. That's perfect. And yeah, Battle Royal are, to decide the Intercontinental Champion. Perfect. We are the champions by Queen after Razor won. Where can I hear <laughs> "We are the champions by Queen"? Mark, do you have any idea? I do. <laughs> oh, well done. I do. As soon as I write down the time that I'm going to talk about this, I can tell you that we're giving away a free trial. Of the 30 day, uh, we're going to be with 30 day free trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. You can download all the Queen you want. As a matter of fact, you can actually listen to the entire soundtrack of Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie that's currently in contention with lawsuits. Um, I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> so click the link, get amazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Again, let's get amazonmusic.com slash W2M network to try out our free trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. We have 70 million songs on this on the um, on the service. You can explore things, listen to things you enjoy, make a workout mix, anything you like. All right. Um, last match of the evening. Pat, I'm going to posit a, a question to you before we start this. 
Bret Hart's going to win the title against Yokozuna, and the and the entire locker room's going to carry him around on their shoulders. And Owen's going to give him a dirty look from the back of Madison Square Garden, and confetti's going to fall down. This is the height of Bret Hart's career. It's not. It's never getting any better than this. Like this is it. This is where his career had reached its zenith. How weird is that to go back and think about? Not, you know, eight, uh, what what date is this? Um, da, 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 da. March twentieth, nineteen ninety four, was the end of Bret Hart's career. <laughs> well, just like any other great career that goes on too long, uh, it's mm -hmm. not necessarily the end. It's maybe the end of the the peak. Yes, that's what I mean. And now we're going into the valley, but it does it does kind of peak out here, unfortunately, for Brett. It, there's no kind of. I can't think of a single thing. So in short order. Literally, he has the entire babyface roster, including legends like Randy Savage and Roddy Piper. They're endorsing him. Gorilla Monsoon gets in the ring and is clapping. Right. In Madison Square Garden with Donnie Wahlberg and Burt Reynolds and – Come on, like you can't ask for more in this. And Brett's probably not realizing at the time, ah, it's probably gonna get better. This no, it doesn't. Right. Calgary <laughs> Stampede. Calgary Stampede. This is the I beginning of the rest of my life. This is the beginning of the rest of my life. So he'll lose the belt to Bob Backlin. <laughs> he'll lose the belt <laughs> to Sean Michael. He's still feuding with Jerry Lawler <laughs> during all of this. Um, he will he, he will. The entire feud with Sean in 1997 ending in the Montreal screw job. And then his there's WCW. Will fall to his death. He will be misused in WCW and to and to finally pay all of this off, Goldberg will kick him in the head and cause a concussion. And then there's a stroke and cancer and all that good yeah. stuff, too. That's just what I mean. Like I like, yes, the Calgary Stampede is a lovely match and it deserves a show of its own to talk about. It's still not getting any better for Brett career-wise. He had a great night. But this is the zenith yes. of his career right yeah. now, right? What we're talking about. How sad is that? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's rough. <laughs> I don't think it's Look at Hogan. It took him a hundred years to get to this point, and it's going to be over <laughs> in three. He got there. A lot of guys don't get there. Look okay. at, let's go with Hogan Zenith. Hogan Zenith is body slamming Andre at WrestleMania three, right? In front of a hundred thousand some odd people, I don't know. I would I would tell you his match with Savage is probably Pete Hogan. I think it's a better match. I think it's more entertaining story wise. It, it never mm -hmm. got bigger than it did with Andre. I agree. I agree, Pat. And Hogan's okay. still going. I okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So let's talk about it. Now that I've aggravated most of the internet wrestling community, Piper, as great as Kurt Henning was as a referee, Roddy Piper's the worst, and I love you, Roddy. Yeah, Roddy Piper was ineffectual in this match. I forgot he was in it. Although, uh, what a shock at the time when you got to see Roddy Piper come out as special guest referee. That was an, that was an absolute shock to me. Big big surprise. Arena was crazy for him. Sure. Yep. Um, so, Brett defeats Yoko in, in just over 10 minutes. Terrible uh, finish. Uh, terrible finish. That's a good match. Um, <laughs> Brett, Brett wrestled a total of 30 minutes over the course of this pay-per-view. He wrestled his brother in a banger, and he wrestles Yokozuna, who's you know on, going on the immobile side. I, I again, I, this is this is the Bret Hart pay per view. Besides Calgary Stampede in a few years, this is the Bret Hart pay per view. It's the only thing outside of the ladder match that anyone gives a crap about or makes this worth watching. You're right on the money, Mark. <laughs> yep. So, um, just uh, some final words about this match, and then we'll close out, Chris. Yeah, so you talk about Lex Luger couldn't make a match um, out of Yokozuna. Well, Bret Hart certainly could. He knew how to take the bumps. He knew how to create the the drama, the near falls, all that type of thing. And uh, both guys worked well together. You had the addition of Rowdy Roddy Piper as a special guest referee with a little bit of intrigue. But like you said, he was, uh, you know, really a non-player. He really didn't even really know how to ref, which was hilarious. He's all over the place. He's admonishing people for stuff that he shouldn't admonish. I mean, it was sort of a mess. But I tell you what, it was a pretty damn good match. And what a capper of this night because i mean you had three this was a sandwich this was two pieces of bread and a piece of meat right in the middle and boy um i enjoyed it i it's my favorite wrestlemania ending just to have the entire new generation being signified mm. and this is the leader of the new generation and it's all celebratory and you have the legends and randy and roddy endorsing it yep and then you have owen just you know staring from the end to set up the future build just so know, good He's being invited in. Hey, come celebrate. This is your brother. Randy Savage is holding the ropes open, and Owen just looks with disdain at him. Like, this is my night, and you just took it away from me. I beat you, and now you're the champion? No, this isn't how it goes. And it's great future storytelling. 
Uh, I would say among the better WrestleManias, all things considered, uh, mm -hmm. especially from what we've gone through so far. I'm going to and not just because I was there and Jenny Garth was there. No so doubt. WrestleMania 10 is the black tie dinner affair on the Titanic. On the <laughs> Titanic. <laughs> <Yeah, it's perfect. laughs> okay, so our next show um, will be we're gonna we're gonna triple up this time. We're gonna talk WrestleMania 11. WrestleMania 12 and WrestleMania 13. And when I tell you this is right before WrestleMania 10 is right before they hit the they hit the iceberg and start to sink. Um, we've all heard the stories. This is where they, you know, 94 to 95 is in 95 into 96 is where they nearly went into bankruptcy. Um, you know, this is where we have the, the boyhood dream era. This is the the beginning of the attitude era, and you know, and it <sighs> ends right before the crowning of Austin. So there's a lot to talk about. There's a, there's a lot to talk about here, but the actual pay-per-views themselves suck diddly yuck. Um, Whoa, I did think, they ever. I think if you took 11, 12, and 13 together, you could make one solid night. I don't even know if that's possible. Because <laughs> you have the same guys you want. In, the, in, the, in the entertaining parts of the night. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's what we will be doing. Um, let me look real quick. Uh, mania. Uh, uh, okay, the mania of WrestleMania 12 will be in December 15th. It'll be just myself and, and Pat. Uh, Chris is going into the woods to live deliberately for a while, unless he can join us. But uh, right now, it's just scheduled to be me and Pat. December 15th. <laughs> so, if, if, if a microphone, and even if I'm underwater in a bathtub with my kidney out, I'm gonna try to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Broadcasting live from a saw machine. Um, <laughs> WrestleMania 11, the mania of WrestleMania 11, 12, and 13. Um, like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network Facebook page, the W2M Facebook page. Check out our website, W2Mnet.com, for all of their podcasts, either the Rattledge and Broadcasting stuff, the Sean Garmer stuff, the Eric Watkins stuff. It's all there. Pat, what do you got going on? Nothing. Terrific. Chris Bailey, tell them about your ElfQuest podcast. You can find me on um, over on the Chris and Reggie Network doing Quester Days, which is everybody's favorite show. Right? Well, I, was hold, I was holding for a pause, but it never came. Exactly. Anyway, anyway, everybody's favorite show, all about the uh, the epic Marvel Elfcrest run. Uh, and you can also find me over here on the uh, W2M Network with Mark, with Pat, with Chris Sheehan, the return of the Podsman coming up for Survivor Series. Cannot wait. All right, folks, thank you for joining us here in the Mania of WrestleMania 10. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>